Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in a new era of uncertainty and stakeholder capitalism. Our host is Sir Rob Wainwright, formerly Executive Director of Europol, Senior Partner of Deloitte with a career-long experience of navigating complex risk and security issues. He talks with business leaders and experts about their challenges and experiences in becoming more responsible businesses towards an outcome that is better for all stakeholders, better for the long-term shareholder value, and better for society as a whole. Our guest is Jeroen Tuss, Chief Innovation and Strategy Officer and member of the Executive Committee at Royal Phillips an organization that leverages emerging tools such as AI, sensing technologies, and the Internet of Things to reinforce the company's health propositions aimed at supporting healthcare patients, care professionals, consumers, and health technology with personalized connected care solutions. Now, responsible healthcare innovation is arguably the most pressing global topic of 2020. Rob and Yurun discuss what that means for Philips as a health technology company and for Yurun's role leading innovation and strategy. Over to you guys. Great. Thank you, Rodney. And welcome back to our listeners and a warm welcome to you, Yurun. Well, it's a, a real pleasure to have someone today with such an impressive track record in technology and innovation now, in my experience, staying the course of innovation through the ups and downs of a fail-fast culture demands, of course, of a corporate environment is never easy. But I think you seem to have done it, Jeroen, and you've done it successfully in the banking sector now for many years at, at, at Philips. I'm interested really to know what drives your commitment over this long period. Why does your heart beat in this job, Jeroen? Well, I, I think maybe all of us are are looking for impact and, and, and contributing to ultimately a better world. And, and sometimes it, it gets very close and personal. And um, when my daughter was diagnosed with, with type 1 diabetes, and, and this is already way back, uh, she was 12 at, uh, at that time, um, I was kind of amazed about how little technology played a role in the diagnosis, the treatment, and the guidance and coordination of our care. And Taiwan diabetes is a complex disease. Um, it leads to a lot of complications. It, it impacts um, how people feel. And you could see there are a lot of factors at play. And, and I felt that technology presents a big opportunity to better understand what drives health and disease and to better coordinate the care that's associated with that. So I've, I've been thinking about it and then I got the opportunity to uh, join Philips in this role and, and essentially start looking for solutions at scale that can deal with you know, the health of large populations. And I think today is more relevant than ever. Yeah, that's, that's a great example. I mean, my own, you know, my own career, it doesn't have such an inspiring personal story as yours. But, you know, I've been terrorists and criminals all my career. And, and I too came to the realization at least 10 years ago that technology and data are just not really being used in the right way. And, and it can help society in, in many different ways on the security agenda, but as you say, in healthcare as well. 
And as you say, um, today, more than ever, perhaps, we have the opportunity for innovation and technology to really make a difference. Um, maybe one of the best opportunities you've had in your career as well in, in terms of impacting on, on COVID outcomes. What have you been doing or what has Philip's been doing indeed to, to help society in, in this way? Yeah, I, 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 I think first we, we all recognized that, you know, we were not prepared for pandemic and, and that applies to virtually every country in the world. Secondly, I think we've been underestimating how complex uh, a disease can be and how little we know and how we deal with progressing insights. So, so we saw, of course, the immediate needs and the immediate needs were, were for ventilators. The immediate needs were for monitors to, to basically help and support those patients in most acute need. Um, but there was a bigger need behind it. So that's just the acute, get people in ventilation, make sure they can continue to breathe. But we found out there's a lot of complexity behind the disease because, you know, specifically uh, those people in acute care were those with preconditions, with chronic disease, with heart failure, with maybe already lung disease. So how does the, the virus interact with people already having disease? What are the best protocols to deal with these acute patients? And so we, we start looking at two related aspects. So number one, how can we help people that have tremendous pressure on the system in the hot zones to alleviate some of that pressure by remotely supporting you know, intensive care units or you know, frontline staff? But secondly, how can we help them get the insights from those patients, develop the protocols that are best fit with those patients and keep sharing that information? And you, you said, well, in crime and terrorism, data and information is hugely important in disease management, in, in health. It's equally important, especially if we're dealing with a new disease that, uh, that we want to understand and, and impact. So, so that's one. And so we started looking at A, fulfilling immediate needs. That means uh, dramatically improving our capacity. Then there was another complication because we, we have geopolitical tension. So we started looking at our supply chains. You know, uh, a global supply chain may not be sufficient. What do we do in the US? What do we do in Europe? What do we do in Asia? Uh, so we, were, we, in parallel, started rethinking uh, our supply chain and uh, manufacturing capacity. We started looking at developing complete new products that could deal with the less acute uh, ventilation needs. So in a couple of weeks, we completely uh, uh, develop a new product, you know, out of existing uh, parts. We, we started looking at how can we enable that data? How can we help intensive care units to be remotely supported. So we created a cloud solution that allows people to exchange data, to carry patient data from one provider to the other as, as patients move in terms of acuity. So we looked at all of that in a very compressed time scale. But then we started thinking about what will stick? What will this mean? You know, it will mean that people need to collaborate more. It will mean that we have to allocate capacity, scarce capacity in terms of healthcare resources in a different way. We have to do way more virtually because, you know, patients 
or, or consumers don't go to a hospital if it's not needed because there's risk of infection. So can we move the non-acute care out of that hospital that becomes a place of potential infection? If we bring it out, how can we bring it closer to the people that need it? Can we make it more community-based? Can we virtualize it so that we can provide care in the way we're talking right now? Um, and what will stick? Will it be reimbursed in a new way? Because today healthcare is still being reimbursed in a way that that says, hey, I have to go and visit you. I have to go to the waiting room, get in line, go and see a doctor. That doctor will refer me to a hospital. There I have to wait again, go in line. It gets registered and then it gets paid. But now we're saying it's all virtualized. That doctor may not even be in the hospital in your town. That doctor may sit in another, in another town, maybe even in another country. It sounds like it sounds like you're in this, this is sort of almost a reinvention of digital health that that we're going through. I mean, I'm interested. We'll come on to that. But I'm interested. You talked a lot about ramping up your capacity, a lot of you know, helping of supply and the ventilators, de- developing new solutions indeed, but developing under such compressed time schedules uh, and getting it, you know, getting it delivered on the ground to make an impact um, in very challenging circumstances. There's this, you know, the most urgent crisis, hospitals are under the most acute pressure, governments are under pressure. We're reading every day during those months of the springtime around Europe how challenging it is for governments, ventilators, PPEs and so on. So here where we have sort of innovation, new solutions hit, hitting the rubber of the road of, of, of trying to get it then into an operationally effective impact straight away. I just wondered how successful you were able to do that and really get it where it was most needed in the right sort of time. It must have been hugely challenging for you. Well, uh, to, to us, uh, there, I, I would say there are three dimensions to this. So the clarity of the need. So the requirements were very clear. This is what we need right now. We need these ventilators. We need to scale up the ventilation. We need to uh, make sure that we can also ventilate outside the hospital. Uh, We need monitors. We need different types of monitors that probably become wearable. So the need was very clear and present. And and when that's clear, you can rally behind it. So it, it almost creates a rallying cry within the company you know, this is important, this is impactful, we have to band together, we have to tap into our ecosystem because we're all, you know, rallying behind the same flag here. So that's one. And that that makes a big difference when there's that clarity of purpose. Then the second aspect is you cannot create a solution in a compressed time frame by starting from scratch. You need to have a platform. You need to have the designs, the, the infrastructure to, to, to deliver. You know, you, you cannot build up a supply chain in six weeks. So you need to be able to tap into an existing supply chain, tune that to your needs. You need to be able to take a design, you need to take a platform and, and create a, a solution on what you have. So starting from scratch is not an option. You have to really tap into your asset base, your platforms, and, and create something quickly that can be validated and scaled quickly. So it puts a lot of emphasis on proper validation and scalability. And thirdly, you need to be able 
to work in a completely different way because most people were at home. Most people now had to collaborate virtually and it could not be a marketing team doing their marketing stuff, um, uh, product engineering doing their product engineering stuff, um, a quality assurance team doing... No, you had to create these single teams that had these disciplines virtually and then top leadership had to be hands-on involved and, and just help remove barriers for the teams. So we've seen me and my, my colleagues in the EXCO, in the executive committee, being on daily calls, helping the team succeed. You know, can we take out this roadblock? Can we help you with this? Can we prioritize that for you so that you can succeed within the time frame that we set out? And I think every, everybody... That created a lot of energy in the organization. So the purpose, the fact that we knew that we could tap into something we have, and then that true collaboration and multidisciplinary teams with a leadership that was there to, to guide, to support, and to take out the big challenges, I, I think that's, that was ultimately the magic of what, uh, what we created. I mean, what you're, what you're talking about, Iran, is a very good example of crisis management in action, right? And I'm sure you will have learned, you know, some things you wish you could have done better and so on, but you, you will have learned through the process. But so many companies, governments, others have gone through this crisis management phase and have learned the value, as you say, of top leadership, driving real action, but not overmanaging it, right? Yep. Making sure that, that you can make quick decisions and get stuff done down the line, uh, making you can build on things that are there at the moment rather than reinventing the wheel. So it's, 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 some, it's, a, it's a great idea. You mentioned earlier how much of this does stick. So going forward, um, it's, it's, it's a good idea. A lot of people are talking about we need to build back better, learn from how the way we've dealt with COVID has reframed the way we want to do business and we want to lead our lives. I mean, how much for this will stick, do you think, in practical terms? And what does that mean, do you think, for the future of, of healthcare? Well, uh, let's start with recognizing that we're n nowhere near the end of this. So, uh, you know, we all hope that, you know, it will go down during the summer and there may be a second wave, there will be a vaccine, etc. I think it's going to take longer than, than we had all hoped. So... Um, we have to continue to work to a large extent virtually. We have to continue to create solutions where we can remotely support our customers. Uh, we see increasingly that our customers want to collaborate more closely, getting those deeper insights. So, so I think a lot of it will stick. Now, there's also fatigue, of course. You know, it, it, at the beginning, everybody was super energized. And then you go like, yeah, I really want to see some real people <laughs> rather than, you know, an image on the screen. Uh, so we have to find a new balance here. We have to find a new balance where uh, we, we still bring people together in a secure way so that they can really trust each other and, and tackle the challenges. And then maybe they go virtual again and then come back. So So we're looking at you know, looking at a different office, an office where you safely can come together, work on a, a program together, but then go virtual and then come back together, go virtual. So that you don't load up your office too heavily, you 
find the best of both worlds. And in the beginning, working virtually was like, you know, doing virtual what you've done in the office. But we found out that working virtual gives you a bunch of advantages that you don't get by being in the office. But the office gives you a bunch of advantages that you don't get virtually. So let's now try to bring these two together and create a new way of working that that almost has the best of both worlds. And and we're experimenting with that right now. You know, next week I'm I'm going to get my team together in a in a safe way in in a big space. And, uh, but then we know, okay, we're probably going to see each other again only in a couple of weeks from now. So, how do we keep the momentum? How do we keep the energy? How do we increase the mutual trust that you need when you work virtually? Yeah, and this this sense of energy. Mutual trust. I mean, I've seen through COVID, you know, quite a rare example, I think, of the world acting more or less in a concerted, uniform way to deal, you know, everyone accepts that this is an urgent crisis, it's a global pandemic after all. Um, There's been a coming together maybe of the business world and indeed of many governments in a way that we haven't seen with other crises. I know Philip's very active as well on his sustainability agenda, on climate change, but on climate change, which is arguably much longer lasting, even more difficult, enduring challenge for the globe to deal with. We've never had that sense of concerted action in the way that we're seeing right now on COVID. I find that interesting. Why do you think that is? And, and so if we are going to you know, learn through COVID that, that there is a lesson here about, about society and business you know, really building back better, then we ought to be addressing other, other real challenges like climate change as well. What, what do you think on that? Yeah, well, I, I think there is a difference because, you know, uh, COVID is here and now and it's immediate, it's clear, it's present. And climate change is gradual. Uh, it's usually, it's probably a bigger uh, bigger impact on the world than than what we're seeing with a pandemic. But the pandemic is, is very clear and present. So, um, and to me, that is a lesson that for leadership, if you can continue to create that clarity around the challenge and around the solution that you want to deliver for that challenge, I think you have a better chance of achieving that. So to me, the lesson in leadership is the clearer you are about the need and the clearer you are about the shape of the solution, the better your chances are of success. And and for us, that applies to, you know, climate change as well. We see that as a, as a really, really, really big challenge. And we're looking at how can we contribute to that challenge. And, and I think even in healthcare is more acute because there's a whole lot of waste in, in the healthcare system. And we believe that through digitization, we can address um, many of the challenges, not all, obviously you cannot um, you know, change the course of climate just through digitization, but digitization can give you the tools to get you there. So, so we're looking at what is the challenge, how big is that challenge, what is the shape of the solutions, and then what we, what tools and technologies and capabilities can we bring to bear to get us there? Yeah, I was also interested. You know, you talked about how there's this great sense of rallying cry, you know, which created this energy in Philips, and you could see it maybe in a wider environment with the stakeholders you were working with. This, 
this sense of a rallying cry I'm, I'm seeing as well as has helped to shift a mindset or accelerate a mindset in, in, in the business community around this idea of responsible business. The sense that, you know, the, as you say, this is the energy comes from the fact that we can see this is so important for society, right? I just wonder, we kind of get that, and it's great that more and more businesses are, are, are indeed rallying to that societal cause. How much commercial sense does it make as well, though, you know, to, th to, th to think that, you know, what we're doing is not just the right thing for society, but also actually the smart business choice for us as well? Well, so... Let, let me give you some insights in how our employees look at this. The, you know, our sustainability group within the company is almost like a grassroots group that has thousands and thousands of employees participating, thinking about it, contributing to the direction we're taking uh, as a company. And many of them are young. So, uh, so there's a message here that, that this is top of mind with our employees. This is top of mind with many of our consumers. Um, we're collaborating with customers, large hospital groups that see this as a very important aspect of the way they run their business, you know, responsible business. So if so many of those stakeholders, you know, put emphasis on this, it cannot be but important for you commercially. With other words, people will engage with those uh, companies that they feel align with their, their thoughts about, you know, society and, and contribution to society and being conscious about, about impact. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that as well. Across the series of interviews we've done in this, this podcast series, you know, there's, there's a clear sense that Business mindset is shifting. Uh, it makes commercial sense as well, as, as you say. Um, the role of digitization in health, which you mentioned, you're, you're in, I mean, as we look forward, you know, the ambition of digital health has been there for many years. I'm not sure we've ever quite delivered on that for many reasons, but kind of rapid transformations we've seen during COVID maybe suggest that we've turned a corner, maybe created a new dynamic. Do, do you think we really are now on a path towards delivering a sustainable digital health future. Yeah, I, I think if you if you look at at healthcare systems, and and actually each country has a different type of of healthcare system, and the way healthcare is being paid for, um, then you see there hasn't been any real structural change for the last seventy years. You know, the our modern healthcare systems were shaped just after the, the Second World War and they haven't structurally really changed. And it's it's been always focused on episodic care where you pay for a consult, uh, a diagnostic test, a procedure, uh, therapy. Um, so I think the bigger shift now is going towards, hey, it's, it's really about the health of the population, the outcomes. And we should look at how we can create a more efficient system. And clearly, digital infrastructure is going to play a big role. And, and the first step we already seen, which is kind of what we talked about earlier, is virtualizing what you've done physically, you know, instead of visiting the office of your doctor, you're having a two-way video session. But that's not really a profound change. The profound change happens 
when I know my my own medical history, um, the data about me gets interpreted and monitored and is turned into preventative, proactive interventions. With other words, you know, Rob has a certain medical history. He, um, he is at risk of a potential deterioration. Now we're going to track that. And actually, we may have an intervention where you talk to a video to a doctor, but that actually may be initiated by the healthcare system because they see you know, the early signs of deterioration. And with COVID, we, we see the importance of that. You know, you may be at risk. You, you may have had the disease or you may be at risk of spreading the disease. So if we can better track you and track the people around you, we become more preventative if there's a deterioration and we can intervene. Um, we can allocate the right care to where it's needed most. I think we make a big change. And, and in any healthcare system in the world, there's huge waste. And the waste comes from unnecessary procedures, unnecessary tests, um, inefficiencies in the allocation of care because it's confined to brick and mortar and people, not you know a digitized network where you can tap into the right knowledge at the right moment anywhere. So supply and demand is very constrained. Uh, so... I think people start seeing that all of this is usually important. Virtualization is important. Your longer to know history data is important. Streaming data is important if you're at risk. Um, uh, proactive intervention is, is important. Uh, so, and we gradually see that payment is moving in that direction. So for instance, in the US, they're now starting to pay for for outcomes and and that and and virtual visits are an integral part of that so if you pay for outcomes you're ultimately going to look for the most efficient ways to deliver those outcomes you're not necessarily going to say come to my office wait in line no i'm going to actually try to avoid you coming to the office because there will be bigger downstream cost if i delay any you know, intervention or treatment or change in medication at this moment. So, so we're going to see that the importance of data is going to increase. The processes, the workflows, and the reimbursement around that is going to dramatically improve the efficiency of care. Now, if you ask me how fast is gonna is that going to go, I think the longer the the crisis lasts, the more the momentum will will continue. And um, and, and what we Sorry, yeah, and, and more profound the, the, the impacts might be, maybe. I mean, you talk, you talk yeah. about the need for profound change. But some promising signs there, Jeroen, I think. I mean, we can be, I mean, let's be optimistic about... I, I see a lot of promising signs. Yeah. And, and, you know, it cannot be just dependent on one or two visionary leaders in the healthcare system. I think we need a, a systemic approach to this. And, you know, many of the governments... Uh, have started recognizing that you you cannot just sit back and wait for it to happen. You have to orchestrate it. You have to give the incentives to to go there. And you know the other side of it, many of the the patients have now experienced that a virtual engagement can be very can be very effective, and uh, they now understand that yeah that data 
my own health data is hugely important because it's not just about COVID. It's about COVID in the context of, you know, other complications or chronic disease mm. that I might suffer from. Well, you know, maybe we are on the cusp of, of as you say, a profound change which will affect all of us in the future. So that's a great way to end, uh, Jeroen. Thank you for uh, a fascinating discussion on, on such an important and interesting topic uh, right now. Well, the progress of healthcare down the ages has always been stimulated by great bursts of innovation, such as the early developments of antibiotics. And with the COVID pandemic, the world is dependent once more on the ability of this profession to find urgent and practical solutions. At the heart of the modern healthcare system, as we've been hearing, is the great prospect of digital technology and how that can be applied to make diagnoses, treatments and access to healthcare more effective and indeed more abundant. We've been waiting many years maybe for this promise to be fulfilled, but people like Jeroen Tass are lending their talents to this mission and helping to drive companies like Philips in a direction towards making the world healthier and more sustainable. COVID has been the world's primary concern in 2020, but the longer lasting spectre of climate change also still hangs heavy in the air. And that too will need the best of innovation and technology to reverse its effects on the globe. As we confront these challenges, the burden of responsibility to find and deliver solutions is increasingly falling on the shoulders of big business. And Jeroen's words and examples today gives us hope perhaps that in the age of responsible business, many companies are stepping up to this cause, inspired by the impact on society they're capable of making, perhaps inspired too by the idea that responsible business is the smart commercial direction to take as well. Thanks for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. Hope you enjoyed it and that you'll tune into our next episode. Review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using and find out more on Deloitte.nl. We'll see you in our next episode.